0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have in the studio Brittany Spanos and Simon Vozick levinson Hey. So, in a recent issue of Rolling Stone, we did a list of the best songs of the 21st century so far, and it's actually our, our sort of our second stab at it because we did the best songs of the 2000s. And it was done with a, a poll of writers and artists, and there's 100 songs on it. And I thought we would devote several podcasts to kind of going through the list and in doing so, talking to some of the people who made some of the songs on the list. And today we're going to start that. We're going to start at the the bottom of the list and we're going to try to talk to Amari who did the amazing song One Thing in 2005. And it's, uh, we'll, we'll play it in a minute if you don't remember it, but it's just this phenomenal, incredibly rhythmic r&b song that has strong elements of hip-hop it was one of the first songs like crazy in love which was produced by rich harrison the same great producer the way she's writing the beat is very much a a hip-hop thing and that that blurring the lines is is actually one of the key things of of i would say 21st century pop right
1: yeah i think it's fair to say that one thing prefigured a lot of what we hear now um, it's the sort of creative use of sampling, the way that her voice kind of floats over the beat, sounds incredibly current now, as fresh as it did in 2005.
2: Yeah, and I think just bringing R&B and pop together and fusing it in that way was really just kind of almost unheard of before the 2000s. The so I think that song is like the best example of what, like like you said, what we're hearing now, what we, what we hear through every pop star at this moment, kind of this like R&B pop fusion.
0: And the other song we're going to be talking about later is "Tighten Up" by the Black Keys, and Patrick Carney is of the Black Keys is going to be calling in to talk about that song. And the funny thing is, they actually have they have a similar kind of beat. We were saying the one thing was created from a sample of a Meter's song, and it's it's kind of uh, you know it's it's very syncopated on the snare. And Patrick Carney on on Tighten Up, really plays his own version, his own sort of punk rock version of that kind of beat. So I I love that. And these songs are both in sort of the 80 to, to 100 range, and it's a nice little connection there. But, I mean, Rich Harrison, we should talk about him for a minute. I mean, he is a sort of one of the key producers of the, the first part of the, the first decade of the 21st century. God, that sounds so historic now. <laughs> and he he came from the tradition of late 20th century hip hop of, of finding the great loop in an in, in old soul song and, and, and knowing what to do with it. Because it's not just a matter of, here, let's slice this loop out this you know this one bar of of you know James Brown or a meter song and then rap over it or sing over it. It's, it no I mean it's like you pick you pick that bar you put it in and then you're putting all the stuff on top of it and knowing what to put in the the rest of the song and doing it and that's what made him you know a super key producer It's kind of a bridge between that 20th century style and, and what mm-hmm. was to come and I think we have Amari on the on the air right now hi welcome to the show thanks so much for being here
3: thank you thanks for having me.
0: So we were just uh, talking about the, the greatness of one thing, which is both on our current list of the greatest songs of the 21st century, and is also on our previous list of, of the greatest songs of the 2000s. You know, you have a lot of great songs, and this is a truly amazing song, and I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the making of it. You collaborated, you know, a ton with Rich Harrison in those days. Yeah. T- 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 tell us about how that relationship worked and what you liked about his producing style, all that.
3: Well, we initially met because um, we had a mutual friend. At the time, he'd worked, he'd been, had a couple of records that he'd placed um, with Mary J. Oblige, I believe, and he was still kind of, like, uh, building his um, his own company, his own, his own vibe, and I was, at the time, I was at university, and we had a mutual friend, and introduced us, and we ended up meeting, and he played me some of his tracks, and I played him some of the music that i have been working on at the time with different people, and just singing some songs that I'd written, and um, I don't know, I just felt like it was there's definitely something there, and we just got to work like a week later, and most of what we ended up creating at the time ended up being the first album, mm. and it's, in fact, we, we actually went to, you know, once we got the quote-unquote big record deal, then we went to into this the, the quote-unquote real studio, <laughs> and re-sang everything and we did everything. He messed around with some of the track a little bit and then we realized, you know, the stuff that we recorded in the basement sounds like that that first time around it just had the magic to it. Let's just keep what we had. So a lot of the first album is actually those those are records that were recorded in the basement next to like a washing machine and a dryer. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. That stuff, you know. You know, I always feel like I I always love I love working with um new producers are just unknown, unknown people who at the time would probably say I'm an aspiring producer Mm. or um, working and creating in spaces. Like I never liked going to really big, flossy, glossy studios because I always felt like it was like a step away from just like the pure pureness of like just the creation. Like, you know, of course, anytime you're creating any, anything, once you bring in, like once you monetize it, it's kind of like, no matter how you look at it, it always takes away a little of the purity. I mean, you can really try to come from a pure place, but the back of your mind, you're still thinking, what do other people think when they hear it? What will they think? What are they expecting? And even though you try to like shut that out, it's really hard. So I feel like when you're creating in what I call like the lab and you're feeling like you're doing it for the first time and it's just raw energy, I always feel like it comes out better that way. Totally. And, um, with one thing, it was a little different because we were we were in a big studio. Well, it wasn't like the biggest studio in New York. Uh, we were in New York City. I just remember the session being like um, we we had a large room, but the booth was small. So I like that. There were a lot of guacamole Doritos involved. <laughs> and, like I was literally eating them between takes because I'm I'm kind of a glutton. <laughs> so bad, but like I couldn't like I couldn't wait. So and also it kind of was like my treat because Rich is Rich is really tough in the studio and now I, I produce myself a lot so I'm 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 glad that we went through that because I'm 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 as tough on myself as he was on me in, in, the, in the beginning when I was like really starting and I mean we would just do take and take and take of a, yeah yeah oh oh and it's like oh 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 and he <laughs> he, he doesn't he didn't mean it in a rude way but it's just Again, again, no, 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 and that would become our, like our running joke. Right. But we would record really, we had a really fast process of recording and I record like that now so sometimes and have to get used to it um, because it, I can sound rude, but it's because that's the way we worked and we were just like really to the point, you know, there's just like, you're just trying to get out as much as you can in a certain amount of time. That's why I started engineering myself actually now too. That way it just goes really fast. I don't even have to say again, again. It's just like I just do it. But um, yeah, it was really just like an awesome session.
0: So what do you remember about first hearing the beat, the track? Was he still working on it when he, when he brought it to you? Or did he say, hey, check this out? How did, how did that all work?
3: Um, no, for the most part it was, it was done. He had it on a, um, a demo tape. Whoa, I think it was a tape. I don't even think we know what to do with those now. <laughs> but it was actually like on the tape. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's the way he works. He actually, the way Rich works, is he has to go into his hole, he creates, and then he comes back, and then you, you can like start tweaking things, you work on it from there. But he's not a make it in front of me right now, let's just bounce back and forth as we go um, creator. He creates, he goes, finishes his thought, and then he comes, and then, then you, you collaborate after that. But he needs to finish his thoughts so he, he knows what he's working with first. And um, at first I was like, whoa, this is crazy. It sounded like go-go, you know, very go-go. And it's not a go-go record, but the, the way that he sampled
4: hmm.
3: um, the meters, that the, what he chose and the way he looped it, he gave it this go-go, this super go-go flavor, which lives in him because he's from D.C. And that's where we met. Um so I just thought, whoa, and it's, there's a lot happening in this track. There's a lot happening. Mm-hmm. And it sounded so different from what was on the radio. I mean, there's nothing that that sounded like that. And there's not, been nothing that sounds like that since, honestly. Um, but I liked it right away. And when we recorded it, we, we looked at each other and we were like, hmm, this is something. <laughs> but, you know, you just never really know. You just you, you never really know how everyone else is going to like it. You just know how you feel about it. And if you think it's You've got something there, but that's the thing you just never know how it's going to be received. And it, and it had a very mixed reception when we finished when we took it to the label.
0: I was curious how the how the the melody and the sort of cadence and the lyrics sort of came together.
3: Well, Rick had most of the song already finished. Um, the bridge was kind of like empty if I remember correctly. so I like I went off and wrote the bridge on my own at another time well um, we recorded everything and then I went back and I recorded the bridge later. Um,
0: so would would he have as far as did, like did he sing on the demo? Like who was you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like he, si- oh, that's no, cool. he
3: he 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 sings on the demos and I always liked that and and um be- later on he would feel like uh, should I get a girl to sing on the demos? And I was like, No, <laughs> I don't I don't like to hear things because they sound very raw when yeah. he sings it. Like sings it what he's not a singer. So it's kind of like more of the idea of what it should sound like. And that gave me room to do my own interpretation of things, if you know what I mean, versus having someone who's polished who's singing it. Cause then to me, then it's cemented already yeah. But when you have rich singing it, that he's not a singer and it's kind of funny, but <laughs> you get the general gist of where he's going with it. <laughs> then it's like, okay, I can interpret it myself. Um, yeah. So that was, that was really great.
0: There's also a, a really cool little spoken word thing that you do in there with the breathing and the you know
3: oh yeah, it's funny because those are the things like I said there's a lot of a lot of now I can I can get those things really quick, but let me tell you sometimes just getting a, mm mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that's that stuff takes longer than the singing part
4: because
3: mm. you know there's, you know you think you're just saying yeah. But then when you start doing it more, you start getting a lot (laughs) more self-conscious, and it's like, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah." (laughs) It's like it took so long, but we had a great time. We had a ball recording.
0: And I want to finish by talking about the, the label's crazy reaction to it, but let's, with no further ado, let's actually hear some of one thing. So how many na no no na na nah, nah, oh's did you have to do before you got there right?
3: A whole bunch, because <laughs> right. if you're if you're off key, it's gonna sound weird. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like I was. It's yeah. <laughs>
3: And it has to be the perfect breath between the, especially when you go down to the O. You know, people still ask me what I'm saying in that part because they, there, a lot of people were like, "You're saying she's saying gobble gobble gobble." I'm like, "Why would I be <laughs> saying that? Why would I? Why would I say that?"
0: So then you take this this song that I mean I think we all. Sitting here, we all remember the first time we heard it, and I, you know, literally the first time I heard it, it it practically knocked me out of my chair. It's one of those songs. It's so obviously, at the time, it was both so obviously great and groundbreaking and sort of irresistible, and yet, as with so many things that have become classics, the label didn't get it, right?
3: Yeah, they didn't really get it. Um, At the time, I remember one of the descriptions was that it's so linear, and I was like, okay. Um And I, I guess, yes, it, it kind of does kind of stay on one track. It doesn't really have a bunch of changes. Um, the bridge kind of does that a little bit, but it's not really supposed to be like um, your traditional song where it's like taking you here and then you go up here and then you go back down and then you, you know, it was it's more of a vibe. And I think that we're definitely at that place now or these days you just do whatever. I mean, I've heard songs where, you know, the whole song is just the hook or there's a verse and then there's a hook. And then the second song, the second verse is really just the first verse again. Mm. You can just do whatever you want. And I think that it was, there's a lot of overthinking, but I mean, you know, you you have to really respect the people who, who have been doing it for a really long time. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's all so subjective. Um, I, I was just like, I don't really understand. Like, how do you just, aside from breaking it down and you're, you're trying to overthink it, but don't you just hear that it just sounds cool? But then there was like, oh, because then I remember there were some different iterations that came. One thing, I, I, um, I'm i one of those grouchy artists. Like I, I create and I, and I like to create. Rich is a little like that too. You know, we like to get in our little hole, create, and then it's like that's that. Um, because some artists create, I don't know. We're going to open a whole can of worms. Yeah. But long story short, you can create because you want to, um, your whole idea is just like, I just want to get on stage, or I just want to be famous, and I just, you know, want to be loved. All artists have part of that in them, right? But a big Part for me was just the creative process. To me, I was like, I love the creative process. If I didn't have to make any videos or go anywhere, I could just like record the music, make the music, send it out, and that's I be like that's good. Yeah. So to me, when you took that part away, it's like, what? Well, what am I doing this for? I don't, I don't do it for the photo shoot because I don't particularly enjoy them like that. So I do it to create because I have something to say. So when the label sends you different versions of your song hmm. with terrible hooks on them. Someone else was like, how about you do the hook like this? And one was like, it is just one thing. I was like, what? What is this? And I was like, you yeah. know, after we got over our anchor, we were just like, look, it is, we have the right thing. Please don't send any more of these one thing hook versions. We're overthinking it. We like it just the way it is. We respect your opinion, but we're going to have to disagree on this one. And then it was, and then it was good from there. Yeah, it helped that the song just off on its own though. Right. Um, great.
0: Well, it was a, it was a top ten single, uh, and it's 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 on our list. But you know, even if it wasn't, it's an all time classic. Did you guys want to jump in at all? or are we are we good?
2: I mean, have you heard it randomly in the time since? I feel like I still hear it everywhere, like in stores or yeah, you know,
3: I do. Um, it- and even when I'm traveling overseas, I'll hear it. I feel like it's it's used on the news a lot for some reason like it's, which I find like so interesting like oh okay like especially weather I've heard that a few times and then of course like walking through a mall or cafe um, or a store anything like that I, I, I think we were in was it Amsterdam and I walked past um, a coffee shop and they were it was playing right then it's really weird when you're there for some reason that's kind of embarrassing yeah but right <laughs> Because you're like, oh, I feel, I feel this is really weird. Especially if you walk into a store and it's playing. It's like, uh, it's kind of embarrassing. Did <laughs> they play it because I walked in, and so then they kind of felt like obligated to play it, or it's kind of like, a, I don't know. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> it's, yeah,
3: um, but it's really cool. <laughs> it's, it's like really held to cool. the chief
0: for the president. Yes, <laughs> thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking Thank with you. Guys so much. Have a great day. Thank
3: you, thank you. It's a lot of fun now, re- re- walking down Beverly Lane.
0: <laughs> Thanks again. And so you're listening to Rolling Stone Music now that was the great Amari talking about her super classic song One Thing part of our list of the greatest songs of the 21st century so far. You're listening to Rolling Stone Music now we'll be back with Patrick Carney talking about the Black Keys Tighten Up. And now we're going to talk to Patrick Carney of the Black Keys about their great song, Tighten Up, that's also on the list. And, uh, you know, with Amory, we broke down how she kind of rode that beat and made a, a very different song for the world. In this case, this is a very different song for the Black Keys. They were, you know, essentially a garage blues band, and they got together with Danger Mouse and made something altogether different and transformed their career. And I think we have Mr. Patrick Carney on the line right now. Patrick.
5: Hey, how's
0: it going? Hey, man, how are you?
5: I'm well. I'm trying to quit smoking. Three days into it.
0: <laughs> I think we picked the wrong Titan to talk to you, man.
5: <laughs> Good. I just have a thousand toothpicks
0: on my feet right? <laughs> So it's funny, we were saying that. So we, we just got, uh, we just talked to Amari about one thing. And I, I don't know how clearly you remember one thing, but the beat is not altogether different from the Titan Up beat. I don't know if you agree.
5: Uh, that song has like a meters
0: exactly exactly
5: yeah yeah well um the beat to tighten up that song started with the drum beat actually um it's weird because see dan and i dan and i it was eight years ago almost to the day that dan and i started making uh our album brothers in in muscle shoals alabama and um we spent like two a little bit less than two weeks down there just basically making a song up a day and recording it and um uh, we got back our homes i was living in new york at the time dan was still in ohio and uh uh we it took a while to get some rough mixes in and um during that time i, I just was i just thought maybe we should go back in the studio and like try to write one more song so i i, I called uh dan and i called uh i thought we should do it with danger Mouse because we'd done that record just uh, brothers just done our own and um dan was up to try something with danger Mouse. so we met up uh, in New York in early December, with nothing, mm. and uh, we were actually promoting this this uh, hip hop record that Dan and I made called called Black Rock, and we, right. had, we were doing some TV. We we're doing like Letterman and and whatever other TV show I guess you do in New York with Alan or whatever. Um, and uh, we were doing that 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 those performances during the afternoon, and then in the evening we went to, to uh, the bunker in Brooklyn to record. And um, that song started with a drum beat. It was m- me basically trying to play a kraut kind of canned vitamin C type beat. You know? Huh. Like,
0: but not a motoric beat, like a different kind of uh, a different kind of no,
5: beat. yeah. Not like motoric. I mean, um, it's just the beat. It's the beat from vitamin C. I don't even know what the hell it is. But right. It's just, it's been, huh. The first time I heard camp, I was 16. I, I was a, my uncle, um, who was a musician. I went to visit him in San Francisco and he had these records just lined up across his, the wall of his apartment and just incredible stuff I'd never heard of. Um, it was funny because he was really excited about taking me to Amoeba, the, the record store, you know, because uh, I'd never been to Amoeba or a record store nearly that big. But after being in his apartment, going to Amoeba was kind of unimpressed. Uh, uh, I was less impressed than Amoeba because my uncle had this curated record store basically in his house and one of the records he played me with uh, whatever the can record is with a song, Vitamin C on it. it it's it's like, like, I can't even pronounce
0: it, it. it's like E.G. Bamyasi is the, is yeah, the album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it means canned
1: okra in Turkish. Are you serious? Right. Yeah, yeah, for real. It's like okay. a picture of a can of, of okra. Oh, it is a indeed Turkish a picture of, of an, I'm that's looking that, at the, the album can album cover. cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. E.G. Bamyasi. They, they,
0: Simon can translate uh, Turkish for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us one other phrase in Turkish, Simon. I only know the ones
1: <laughs> that are on covers of can albums. That's fine. Sorry, continue, Patrick.
5: Well... I mean that—that's the beginning of the, of the story of the making of that song. It started with that drum beat, and we just started throwing a bunch of shit at the wall, um, you know. Uh, and actually, you know, the the, the weird thing is, is you know that track really it should have been credited as a co-write with with Brian Burton, aka Danger Mouse. Uh, but we were so naive that we were like, oh, that's, that's just kind of what a producer does <laughs> in the studio, blah blah. And then you know the carmona, the carmonic aspect of that is like, Dan and I've gotten. We've paid our dues back to music by working on songs and not getting the karma, not getting the credit, you know. Right. Well, and then, you know, realize to chalk it up, it's just a, a young band not knowing what the hell's going on or whatever. But, yeah, Brian should have gotten credit because the entire arra- the entire arrangement of, like, this song should have this intro. We should then do some sort of tempo change, Half, you know, like two-thirds into it. Just, just the, the thought of what should happen in the track was Brian. You
0: know. Totally. When well, let's let's here tighten up for a minute if we can. What do you remember about the the intro of that song coming
5: together? It was Dan's melody, but it was my idea to whistle it. <laughs> um, Good idea. You know, I, the main thing the main thing about the song was. We got into it, the, the song to the point where it's like maybe two minutes and 20 seconds long. And then the conversation kind of moved into this thing where it's like, we'd never had a song played on the radio. You know what I mean? So we we're like, oh, Brian's like, this is pretty catchy. Like, I don't know. But like, we couldn't just put another chorus on it. It would be annoying. So Brian was like, we should do something like where the, the tempo just drops. And like, it's just almost like the outro slash bridge slash just, you know, take the song somewhere else. So I went into the live room and Dan picked up a, a, a bass and I was playing the drums and I came up with the beat to um, the outro and then Dan came up with the bass line and then I came up with a little fill that could connect the two um, and uh, it started kind of shaping up with a thing and then it, you know the interesting thing is is like while we were in the studio making it, like it was, I was kind of aware like this might be the the poppiest on the Blackheats have, have, have ever made, you know? Right. But, I mean, in our vocabulary, the word pop is probably much different than most people's because it, <laughs> I mean, it's hardly, a, it's hardly kind of a pop song, really. But, um, it's an interesting fact about that song. After we finished it, we spent two days recording it, writing it, and we sent it off to Chad Blake, who was mixing our, that record for us and has mixed every, every album since brothers for us. Um, and we got the mix back from Chad and Dan, and I both were pretty uncomfortable with the song just because brothers had was like had come about in this purely kind of organic way, where there were there was just no pro tools, there was no editing, there was no, I don't know. It was in Alabama in like a hundred degree weather. <laughs> I don't know. And we were we were kind of concerned that like the energy of that song didn't fit on the album and. But Dan, Dan was a little bit more so than, than I, I guess, but I ended up, it came time, so that was like early December, so like then here we are now, mid, early February, I guess, we had to get the sequence together. And uh, we had taken that song a few weeks earlier to, and recorded a different version of it with a different chorus uh, in Akron. Hmm. And At the time, early february 2011 that was going to be like we were going to use a version from akron but i had my friend uh leon michaels come over to my apartment we were hanging out in manhattan and i played him everything that we had uh recorded for the next record and the last song i played was tighten up but i don't know if we're gonna put this on there he's like you're a complete idiot (laughs) (laughs) you don't put that song on your record he's like whatever you're like how long is your record I'm like, I don't know it's already like 15 songs he's like well just take one off and put it on or just put it on as well like you're, you're a moron I was like you know what dude you're totally right like what what are we thinking right. I texted Dan right then right I was like we gotta put Titan up on the record he's like whatever whatever you want <laughs>
0: so. just stop texting me no so was kidding.
5: Just, <laughs> he was like I don't know we just didn't know what was going on at that point anymore but it's weird the song came out April 1st um, it came out and uh initially we gotten some like feedback from our management or from the label or whatever that like uh, you know some uh radio stations didn't, didn't really fit the format or whatever and to me it's time it's just like no surprise we've never gotten anything played on the radio before and <laughs> i i wasn't surprised but I, w- I was more surprised when we came back from a, a european run uh Festival tour mid July of that, of uh, I guess it was 2010, mid July 2010, and so it was nine years ago that we started making that record, it was wow. like, not eight. So, yeah, so uh, mid July 2010, I come back from this tour and I get a call from our manager, John Pete, and he's like, you know, Python up's like, take like number like 12 on the alternative charts. And I was like, the, what, what does that mean? And he's like, I don't know, it's like the highest it's ever been. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I don't know So I was like ah, I don't really know We I went left for tour we go and play La La Luzza. Dan decides He's moved to move To Nashville So I, I Decided I'm going to Move here too Next thing I know It's like October 2010 Dan and I both Just moved to Nashville I'm like Unpacking the moving van Actually I did, I wasn't Doing that But I was Just arriving Back to Nashville And we find out That the song Went to number one On the alternative charts And then after that It was just like It was just like It just wouldn't go away And uh, we got Our first offer to play SNL And Mm. we got our first We got all this Kind of stuff happening And uh, Yeah it was kind of The beginning of uh, I guess of us actually uh, uh, Kind of breaking through You know what I mean So It was was strange Because it almost didn't happen We almost We didn't record it initially And then once we recorded it We almost didn't put it On the record And then once it came out We were told it wasn't Going to do shit (laughs) (laughs) So it's like every time, every time like someone, you know, it's funny because like sometimes you'll hear people like different, I don't know, someone used to work for Warner Brothers or whatever, try to take some credit for like the key success or something and be like, <laughs> man, you're a fucking idiot because it's a complete accident. We, I, no one knows that better than Dan and I because we were like, dumbasses almost going to put that song out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and before you go, I know you got a lot going on, like a lot, but is... Uh, I, I got it, yeah, I got
5: it. I, I've got my first uh, child on the way any 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 moment now.
0: Like any <laughs> second, I, I didn't know if he wanted us to mention it, but yeah, congratulations, man! It's, it's all Thanks. the more we're all the more grateful to have you. Uh, and another <laughs> another big arrival coming, another breakthrough. And obviously, that's going to take up your time <laughs> for the near future. Uh, but I I, I do want to ask. I've heard murmurings that you and Dan are talking about a, another Black Keys project at the moment.
5: Well, we we've, we've always plan on making another record and we will do it at some point because we just, we just burned out a little bit from the, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't uh, really, it was just, we spent so much time on the road over a five year period that it started becoming like if the next time we make a record, like how do we avoid not having to spend 220 days every year away from our, our houses?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
5: So, as soon as we figure that out, I'm sure we'll make a record. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll do like a, we'll release like a Aerosmith style video game. Like, uh, <laughs> are you familiar with their video game?
0: I remember the, the Journey arcade game, which was awesome. Uh, I knew their arcade game before I knew their music, but I wasn't familiar with the Aerosmith one.
5: Well, the Aerosmith game is like, a, it's like, you know that uh, the Terminator game from like the early 90s where there's just a machine gun. Oh,
0: and shooting 100%. Up. Yes.
5: Yeah, that's the Aerosmith game as well. And you know what? I just, I'll just give you a little antidote, just bonus thing, because it's just worth putting out there. Sure. And we, Dan and I played the MTV Movie Awards, uh, I guess it was, I, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. And Johnny Depp, like, the whole thing was that Johnny Depp was going to play guitar with us, and it was, like, one of those things was, like, okay, like, I guess we'll do that. We're already in Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm, Johnny Depp seems cool to me, like, you know? Why not? It's probably the last time we'll ever be on MTV. We're like pushing forty, and uh you know that it don't really have much music on that station anymore. Whatever. It was just one of those things. We just did it, and I'm glad we did because we got introduced. The whole song of Johnny Depp. We were introduced by Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, right? <laughs> so then we go and we play the song, yeah. and afterwards, like we're standing outside behind the uh, the amphitheater in Los Angeles, and it's like Dan Johnny Depp. Joe Perry, Steven Tyler, and me. And everyone has all this like rock star kind of accessories on. Uh, and it's like in order. Steven Tyler, or actually, uh, Johnny Depp has the most, then Steven Tyler, then <laughs> Joe Perry. And, and you mean like, nec- has, like necklaces
0: on, like, and, and bracelets scarves. and stuff yeah. and scarves, right? Yeah.
5: yeah. 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 And Dan, you know, he has like a bracelet on and like one ring and then I just have nothing. <laughs> so it's just like, it's all in order. And I feel, I feel like the odd man out. But then, there's just this thing. I've just started thinking about the eras for the video game. And then I'm looking at these guys, and then they start talking, just Stephen Tyler to Joe Perry. And Joe, they're like, how are we going to get the stuff, our stuff, out to Minnesota? And I'm just so nosy. I'm like, what What? What? What, what do you, you guys have a show in Minnesota? He's like, yeah, we got a tour. We're playing the Minnesota State Fair. And i was like, well, what do you have to get out there? He's like, you know, just some stuff. i was like, well, what? Like, can't, can't you just fly it? He's like, Joe Perry starts looking at me like, we tour with a goddamn arsenal, and then Steven Tyler looks at me like hand grenades, hand grenades, machine guns, and then I was like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, our our buses are loaded down with guns. He's like you can't just travel around this country without weaponry." <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, their fucking Aerosmith video game is a doc in real life. <laughs> <laughs> this is just some bullshit." I'm just I'm glad I learned that. I'm, I'm going to let you guys go on that.
0: Yeah, no. uh, Thank you, thank you for that information, Patrick Carney, (laughs) and uh, and and best of luck and uh, best wishes from all of us. And uh, uh, really appreciate you joining while you got uh, such exciting stuff happening.
5: Thank you. All right, guys, have a good weekend.
0: You too. I did not know about this Aerosmith video game. I I literally I knew about Aerosmith. I think it's Aerosmith Guitar Hero, which was. But they then, they, so they had like a shooter, uh, a first person shooter game in arcades, I guess. Yeah, I think yeah. it
1: was about like the dangers of the road and all the risks that you encounter when you're out there being Aerosmith. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My God, and so you had to shoot things? I think like, so, yeah. That's a terrible <laughs> question. Did, did you have to shoot like like competing bands or, or like who are the villains?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a good seems question. Seems like I a key yeah, question. Uh, yeah.
0: Or like songwriters demanding credit for the, you know, like Desmond Child when I he says, actually, I wrote that hook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was like shady promoters and like, oh, my yeah, God. Oh. Kind of so some kind of like weird revenge fantasy from the adult That's, minds of Stephen Tower. Is and of yeah. That is so crazy. <laughs> I, I spent several days with Stephen Tower. He he mentioned another kind of weaponry that actually I, that I, I, I'm not allowed to specify. Actually, he he let's just say he does have self-protective equipment. Was handy. it a nunchuck? Uh, it was Hope not a, a nunchuck. <laughs> yeah, it was like that, uh, yeah, he was he was doing nunchucks. No, it was not a nunchuck. <laughs> I just, I definitely would not mess with Steven Tower is is what I did learn, but I had a good time with him, but he did not mention the, the machine guns. But anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit more about this list. I think we're going to have a bunch of episodes devoted to it, but, you know, in the, even in the uh, bottom 10, there's so much great stuff. There's this song, Archie Marry Me by Always. And Simon wanted to talk real fast about that because I think he he really pushed hard for this to be on the list. I did. I really advocated for this song to be on our list. Uh,
1: Always are one of my favorite bands of the last decade. They are a Canadian indie pop group. They Spelled A L V V A S, but pronounced Always. And yeah, they make this just sort of. Beautiful, witty, dreamy, very catchy indie pop in the vein of kind of early Bell and Sebastian. This song is is perfect as far as I'm concerned. It ended up uh, ranked at number ninety eight out of hundred. I would have uh, placed it much higher, but I'm glad it made the list. Well, what no- <laughs>
0: what number specifically of the top hundred songs of the twenty first century? Number thirteen. Number. Th- Damn, dude. <laughs> it's okay, a really good song. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Let's hear that song.
4: You've
0: Is a nice little song. I don't know about number 12, but it's, an, it's a nice little song. I know. You should get a thank you note <laughs> from each member of Always. The Always video game is awesome. <laughs> it, it's more of a role-playing thing, but it is, it's pretty complex. <laughs> At number 97 is 1901 by Phoenix. Uh, great song, great band. Uh, yeah, I advocated for that one too. Really good song.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. It's a classic.
0: Let's hear that if we can, and we're going to be wrapping up the show pretty soon. But... Songs that came out in 2009 and in my head came out in 2006. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know why. It's just it. it, it could there's nothing because a lot of these things aren't. There's nothing tying them to that year. It could have come out in 2006. Yeah, it summed up
1: I think a lot of trends from the first decade of the 2000s. Yeah,
2: it's definitely like the festival core rock of that era. Like when I hear that song, I just yes, think exactly.
0: Of like and that's and that's I think that's I think why it's because for, for me 2006 is like the, you know because it, it's literally the center of that mm-hmm. decade yeah. and this does feel like the center of the decade. But I can't believe that was in any danger of not making it. <laughs> uh, how quick the festival core of the past uh, slips away. And then of course, tighten up was at 96. And we've got a whole lot more of this list to go through, and, and uh, we will on future episodes and hopefully get some of the makers of the songs to, to join us because that's a lot of fun. You know, was putting this list together fun for everyone, or was it kind of a little bit agonizing? I think it was
1: mostly fun. Uh, you know,
0: music critics love nothing more than to argue about songs, right? It's as as you know, lists are not my thing, but I like once they're done, I like I like talking to the people who are on them. But uh, a lot of you know, rock critics think in lists, and it's it's, it's per, this is a perfect example for them to you know come very close to murdering each other over uh, minutia. So it, it makes everyone happy. Perfect. So this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. Thanks to Bernice Spanos and Simon vosick Levinson for joining me, and thanks very much to Amory and Patrick Carney for talking about making some of the greatest songs of this century which is insane and we'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume channel 106. In the meantime we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes and we will see you next week as always thanks for listening